Is Sirius and XM, are they still a thing? I think they're the same thing. Oh, they're still a thing. Well, I know yeah. they joined, but like... Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think my dad's truck is like on, still on like a promotion for it when he got it. They still get it. We listened to it while I was in Virginia. Weird. My mom, she bought it for years and years. It's like AOL. Oh, you're you just going to forget that you... You forgot. She totally forgot she was having it. Mm-hmm. So she was spending maybe like a hundred bucks a year, which like, it was not that much, but clearly you'd never use it and she was like i just you guys showed me what an auxiliary cord is and so i just listen to music like that right it's like way to go mom you and everyone else in the country except for the five people that still have serious right and they probably also have america online so All right, and because three is a crowd, I'm here today once again in the apartment. Beautiful summer weather, just cold rain all day, every day. Thanks, uh, I'm here with Kelly. Kelly, how's it going? Oh, it's good. It's raining. It's good. It's raining. Mm-hmm, which means traffic, which is your favorite. Yeah, it was really just a <laughs> wonderful day in Portland. If you're a driver in Portland, please be courteous. Please treat stop signs with respect. Obey Watch everybody uh, obey traffic laws, please. Um, that would be great. And if you're a kid running around listening to this podcast right now, please look both ways and just try to just don't just go home. Just that, would, go home. that would probably be the best. All right. So we are here today to talk about this is our 16th episode. We're here today to talk about hard times in New York town uh, recorded, written probably 60, if not before, but recorded in. Uh, on a bootleg, if you will, in 1961. I guess they're all sort of bootlegs. There's no real official recording of this, but uh, the version that we listened to on the on the um, bootleg series, Volume One through Three, was from 1961. And then we listened to uh, the one on the Whitmark demos, which is probably right around that time too. He recorded probably right after uh, the release of Bob Dylan, his first record. And then uh, one that's not on the playlist, but is from Cynthia Gooding's um, Folk Singers Choice. Um, Bootleg, which I I think maybe is this the title of the show that yeah, she was doing show, as well. So that's from that um, from early from January of 1962. So those were those were our touchstones. Uh, before we play the song, Kelly, how, how'd you feel about it? I love this song. It's maybe my favorite one we've listened to so far. This is the only one I ever I actually caught myself singing. Like while it was like stuck in my head kind of thing. Like just till around, which makes me really, really enjoy it. Come here, ladies and gentlemen, listen to my song. Sing it to you right, but you might think it's wrong. Just a little glimpse of a star out town by the East Coast city that you don't know where. That's hard times from the country, living down in New York town. Old New York City is a friendly old town From Washington Heights to Harlem on down There's a mighty many people in the middle and all around They'll kick you when you're up and knock you when you're down It's hard time Alright, so this week, and I don't know if it's just me Or if it's just the way that I choose to see the podcast in our world And random.org and how everything comes together But I found it in a way that out of the out of the deep, dark recess of the earth that we had to pull ourselves out of, which was Dylan and the dead. I finally saw the light, which was what a crazy song to get. One of his very, very earliest 1961. You know, he was playing this before Bob Dylan, um, before he even recorded Bob Dylan. And then we're buttressing this at the end of this episode, where we talk about his Nobel prize for literature uh, in 2017. So we're taking the earliest recording and then his latest thing. It's kind of crazy when you think about it, uh, to go from Bonnie Beecher's apartment in 1961 to uh, Los Angeles, June 4th, 2017. And also, really, the whole the whole arc of um, of the song is kind of that, you know? When I leave New York, I'll be standing on my feet. It's crazy how it all sort of worked out. I mean, I'm sure there's so many sort of gosh darn New York type songs, but how many actually in the end actually transcend the sort of the New York sort of hustle you know i think most people probably get subsumed by it most people get chewed up and spit out and i don't know did bob dylan i don't think so which is kind of a crazy crazy thought this is that line specifically might be my favorite line that and then feels the, good feels yeah good to hear it, it sounds like yeah. great everything about it this song is two minutes long mm-hmm. which i love <laughs> um it's stupid catchy um the piano piano whoa guitar work is nice like the picking is is not super technical but it's like has it enough of a musicality to it that it's interesting to listen to i feel like each three versions too are 
have a little bit of a different vibe to it. Yeah. And that's the, also, well, and that's also talked about too. in in how he was when he played it the first time, went to New York, recorded his first record, came back to Minnesota, played the song again. There was a noticeable difference. Even then we don't have those tapes from before, or at least I don't. Uh, and I don't know if they've been released yet, but apparently people do have them and are trying to sell them for lots and lots of money. Mm. So someday we will hear those, but apparently, you know, this, this kid who was playing this guitar, it just got better and better. And I feel like all of these versions, I don't, you know, it's hard to tell a progression just by listening to three at once, unless you put it back to back, you know, chronologically. But I think each of them have a kind of a different vibe. And I think you can just taste wise go, well, that's better or worse. But I'm sure if you listen to it in a row, it would be technically more proficient each time. That might be true. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really notice, notice that off. I didn't, like the tempo is is faster than the one that we had second on our playlist, which I guess is the the Whitmark demo. That one, mm-hmm. and then the uh, and that one's supposed to be slow. That's almost that was recorded just for people to listen to to record themselves. So he was probably enunciating more than he ever did for any songs at that time. Not that he wasn't, not that he wasn't able to be heard, but in all of those recordings, it's it's pretty stark where he's, it's just him and a guitar, but he's playing everything correctly because he needs to, because he's doing it for publishing. He's trying to get people to sing that song. Oh, that's sh- right. Yeah. So all of those are just for other people to hear so they can go and they know the lyrics and they know the melody and they know how to, they know the chords cause they can hear it. And so, yeah. So that song was one that Peter, Paul and Mary could have done, you know, mm-hmm. if they listened to it and then they would just go and then Dylan would get a cut. Grossman would get a cut. Columbia would get a cut. And then he released free and Bob Dylan. And then, it was over, so he would just did his own stuff from there. So hmm. that's really so that's why that one is a little bit different than the others. And then the one that's live, the one on on Folk Singer's Choice, I might like the best because it's just it's even though the other ones were kind of live, that was the last version, if you will. There might be other times he played it, but that was that was definitely the last time in our listens. Um, and then after 1962, it was pretty pretty much gone. He hmm. never really touched it again. So and it wouldn't actually be copywritten until 1991 with the release of the bootleg series volume one through three. So it was just kind of sitting in a, in a weird spot where it was a part of the bootleg culture until it wasn't, you know, it was officially a bootleg. So the, that one's brighter. The Cynthia getting one It's like the key I think is different. Yeah. And it just feels like kind of happier, which is why it's my least favorite. Actually. The, my favorite is the, the slowest one. Yeah. Um, it actually has an extra verse in it. That's the only, that the only time is that verse appears. Yeah. The verse is, um, yeah, the weak and the strong, the rich and the poor, gathered together in room for no more, crowded up above and crowded down below. Someone disappears, you'll never even know. Yep. It's hard times, yeah. I got a book while I was in Virginia a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> called Song of the North Country, a Midwest Framework to the Songs of Bob Dylan um, by David, I'm going to say Pitchkey. You might be wrong about that. But he notes the class distinctions. And we, we get the Mr. Rockefellers, the Mr. Empires who sit on the perch um, while New York is a town of kickers and the kicked. And so Dylan is obviously identifying with the, the kicked as the poor in the country. And I think really those lines, you know, the weak and the strong, the one that we just went over, I think that probably susses that out even more. It's like, here's the poor, here's the rich. And if one of the poor miss, is missing, you'll never even know because there's so many more of us than them. And I think it, the same thing happened with like Woody Guthrie songs where this land is your land um, has tons of lyrics that if you were to go to like a grade school in Iowa, you wouldn't sing some of the lyrics because they're radical they're radical conceptions of what freedom actually is and freedom for who and what is private property and what is our property and these are things that in in the sanctified you know just well just sing about sing about oklahoma and california you know just tell us how beautiful the land is you know that version is the The one we use in coca-cola commercials right and then there's the one that's a radical concept and i think that this is kind of the same thing and you know this all comes from down on penny's farm uh, by the Bentley Boys. Uh, it's recorded the same in song with different lyrics. <laughs> it's kind of crazy yeah. that it's the same song. I mean, the first verse is literally the same. Come you ladies and gentlemen, listen to the song. Sing it to you right, but you might think it's wrong. May make you mad, but I mean no harm. It's just about the runner's on Penny's farm. It's a hard times in the country out on Penny's farm. You move out on Penny's farm, plant a little crop of bagger and a little crop of corn. Come around to see you're gonna flit and plot till you get yourself a mortgage on everything you got. It's a hard time. Why do you think he kept that in, the country thing? Because if you're talking specifically about a metropolis like New York, why would you say in the country? I guess you could extrapolate that to me. Well, yeah, that's true. But like you could extrapolate that to mean literally America. Like it's a hard time in the country of America. 
Yeah. I think that that's a good reading. I think that it's also the idea of like a Midwesterner in a way coming to the big city, you know, being like completely in awe by it and then sort of still trying to conceptualize it as a small place, like the country and the town. And I'm just in the hamlet of New York City. (laughs) Right. That's your vernacular. I know my neighbors. I'm in the country. Yeah. I have a hundred thousand neighbors. I got to get to know each one of them. (laughs) Again, it's one of those weird ones where it's like, why isn't it there? And then it's not in the lyrics either. So why? Why the omission? I don't know. But, you know, it's my favorite one. Yeah. Um, The what's the line? It's one of the songs we already did. I don't remember where he's like, don't ask me nothing. I might tell you the truth or something. Yeah. Outlaw blues. Yeah. Yeah. That those two th- that line and then when I leave New York I'll be standing on my feet. I don't know out of context it doesn't sound when I leave New York I'll be standing on my feet it doesn't sound so like powerful like yeah. empowering. Yeah. But when he sings it in in the song after this that's the last line of the song. Yeah. That's not the chorus kind of thing, but yeah. It's, so I mean this is very much like a this could be a Woody Guthrie song you know in that same vein. Yeah. So I see why Bob Dylan would have picked up on it and been like yeah it's cool I like it. I'm going to take it. (laughs) Which taking is something that we're definitely going to discuss this entire episode. Don't ask me nothing about nothing. I just might tell you the truth. We did want to talk about New York, though. That was a big theme this week. Go figure. That was a big theme this week. <laughs> we definitely um, poured ourselves into our Spotify playlist, which is excellent. And we'll talk about that later. Long. It's almost two hours long. Uh, so if you want New York stuff, unique stuff from our brains, uh, go ahead and head over there. I guess it's not unique. I wonder how many playlists about New York would feature all the songs that we had. Probably a lot. Probably a lot. So it's not that unique. You know what? Just skip it. Go to next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but anyways i tasked you last week with a history of new york so now that we know how much we like the song and all this kind of stuff i need to get my my head around you know this mr rockefeller this empire you know who are these people that are buying this land um so i was like i want to know about the dutch yo. i want to know what's going on in new york be prepared to be disappointed guess what i didn't talk about at all rockefeller or there's well, no, a person named empire no, no. Oh, Mr. Empire is us. It's the That's U.S. Okay, no, that would be amazing. If your name was Mr. Empire, I mean... there can't be a Mr. Empire. <laughs> <laughs> there might be. Ooh, I hope not. Anyway, so yeah, we're Rockefeller's later. I want the Dutch. That's what I want. I want the beginnings of New York. We know what's going on now. We, we, I think we all have an idea of what New York is in our head. So let's take us back. Let's take us back. All I have to say to you is what was once New York or what? Is now New Amsterdam or the other way around? You know, that's all. Even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. People just liked it better that way. So take me back to Constantinople. No, you can't go back to Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Henry Hudson, right? Henry Hudson, the Hudson Hudson. River. In 1609, he found, quote, (laughs) found (laughs) Manhattan also known as Manhattan, that was previously inhabited by Algonquin Native American tribes. Uh, I've learned so much already. There were two different ones, and I can't remember either of their names. So Lenape is one. Boom. Nice. And I don't remember the other ones. That dude was from the East India Company, which I guess is a big effing deal in Europe, right? Huge effing deal. I've heard it before. Whatever. Who cares? They have a lot of chips. They do sailing things. This guy, Hudson, comes, finds, again, quote, Manhattan. And then goes back and is like, yo, Dutch King guy, there is some cool stuff in Manhattan. There's hills and he goes on and like waxing poetic about how more bountiful and there's timber that you can do all kinds of things that you use timber for with. So like build ships. Yeah. That's probably relevant to a company that sails. Yeah. That makes sense. So the Dutch King, sure, uh, tells. King, sure. Yeah, Dutch so like King Mike Schur. Schur's like great, 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 great grandpa. I think so. Okay. Let's Hudson form, or maybe it just forms around him, the West India Trading Company, right? To pursue what else? Beaver. Because apparently Beaver also all over Manhattan, which is why the Lenape and every, like, were there, because mm-hmm. the fur game was on point. So mm-hmm. in 1624, 30 Dutch families should just roll up into Manhattan and like, hey. Hudson told us this was the place to be. Meanwhile, the Lenape are like, what the fuck are you doing here? Please get out of here. So they don't do that. They stay because they're white. and That's what we do. We're here now. This is ours. But the Dutch buy, quote unquote, in 1626. They buy Manhattan. Uh, I guess it was rumored that it was like they bought it for $24. Like that's the uh, Snopes thing about it. You know, what's the word I'm looking for? Urban legend is that they bought it for $24 of beads. 
But Hudson went back and told all his buddies that this place is amazing. And this guy, Minuet, who's in our song, yes, is the true. one that brokers the deal. Uh, it was actually 60 whatever Dutch money was. I'm going to say shekels. It wasn't shekels. 60 Dutch shekels, which equivalent to like $1,000 today. Mm. So they bought it for $1,000, which again is robbery. But yeah. <laughs> I think any price is robbery when you don't. Oh, no one owns it. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we bought it from the Lenape. We're still pissed, Quote, but it's whatever. Us. They're selling their beaver. We're selling our beaver. Everything's fine. <laughs> and then New York happens because later. But there's windmills, right? We've got like, there's like 36 bars. Things are popping off in New Amsterdam. 36 bars. There's like 36 bars, taverns. Nice. Yeah. You got to have priorities, man. Yeah. We true. got some windmills because we're Dutch and we got that's bars right. because we're also Dutch. I don't know. This guy, Jonas Bronx, shows up. Sound familiar? The Bronx. What's up? He buys nice. a bunch of what are called patroon chips, which is just a fancy word for attractive land. And yeah, that becomes the Bronx. Wilhelm Kiff, sure. Uh, he becomes the leader of New Amsterdam. He okay. builds a wall to keep out, you know, the, 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 savages, the savages, which are known as the people who rightfully own the land, but that's fine. Uh, what does that wall turn into? Wall Street, friend. Oh, Wall Street. Let's nice. commemorate nice. <laughs> the punishing of Native Americans by building our financial institution along this street. Yes. Well, I think that was done very much on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Oh, God. So Peter Stuyvesant was peg-legged because he got shot by a cannon. Who doesn't that happen to? He takes over New Amsterdam. Everybody's like, this guy's doing good. You know, like he's not trying to. Everything's cool. Not obsessed with building walls. Everything is going great. We're drinking. We're smoking. Hold up. Stuyvesant is not a great guy. He wants to outlaw people. And by people, I mean, you know, smugglers and drunks, and that's fine or whatever. But also, Jews and Quakers got to go. So, Well, the Quakers then went to Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, yeah sure. Okay. Yeah. And Lutherans. Also, got to go. Oh, duh. So everybody's like, guess what? Actually, while you weren't paying attention over the last 40 years, people here aren't really even Dutch anymore. We're kind of from everywhere. So you, we're not, we're not, we can't. But we're not Indian. Say. Don't, don't yes, get that I mean, twisted. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> so guess who shows up at the door? King Charles the second or third. Who knows? Second. Sure. <laughs> One of the Charleses sends a fleet of ships. It's like, hey, we noticed that you're not taking care of your stuff very much. You don't really have any defenses. We were wondering if we could just take this from you. And by wonder, I mean, we're going to take this from you. So not a single shot is fired. But the English now control New Amsterdam. And the person who conquered it, because King Charles was his brother, was the Duke of York. And now we have New York instead of New Amsterdam. Because they, the Dutch that, or the people that were in New Amsterdam did not want to fight for the sake of this guy who was an asshole trying to kick all their friends out anyway. Right. So that's it. That's the history they, of They just Dutch took it. They didn't pay. No, they're just like, they're like, hey, we're going to kill you. <laughs> or, or you can just give this to us. And they're like, nah, that sounds fair. It seems like a pretty square deal. Yeah, you can stay here and live and do all the things. You're just going to do it for us now. That's fair. That's right. fair. All right. And that's that's New York. That's that's New York. That's what was that empire state of mind. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So before we finish on uh, hard times in new york town any final thoughts on lyrics anything like that i didn't really write any lyric notes because it's all pretty straightforward other than learning about mr minuet yeah didn't know that was fascinating person. i didn't know hudson was a river but well, yeah, i just drew pictures just drew, just drew pictures yeah, like pictures of the empire state building talking to the rockefeller center nice picture of the staten island ferry staten island ferry is interesting because it's actually since like 97 i think it's free so it's no longer you don't need a nickel you don't need nothing. You need nothing. Oh, the uh, the girl from the one recording, the third one that we listened to. Cynthia well, Gooding. Every, yes, yes, yes. Cynthia Gooding. The person who was interviewing Bob Dylan at the end of the version of the song uh-huh. that you put on. Yeah, night. it was on her show. Yeah. Right. I was like, who's Cynthia Gooding? She has a lovely voice. I want to know about this person. So let me give you a quick biography of Cynthia Gooding. Oh. She was born in Minnesota in 1924. She lived in Mexico City. For so you a just while. liked her voice, and so you just like deep dived into this girl. Well, yeah, because I was like folk singers whatever, whatever folk singers choice yeah. yeah it's like what is that what a fun little radio show yeah. i don't want to know more about her sounds like some yes. npr shit was some npr shit. born in minnesota which is where bob dylan was born it's true i remembered <laughs> um, she learned folk music while she lived in, in mexico city and she came back to the, the united states to where 
New York City. New York City. So it's all relevant. Just so you know. She's of all in... the places to come back to, <laughs> New York City. She sings in Spanish, Italian, and Turkish. No way. She actually married a Turkish guy. Nice. Uh, the Electra Records. Yeah, Electra. President. I guess the guy who founded Electra Records. Found her at a folk party in Greenwich Village where everything was popping up. I mean, a folk party. That's... Duh. We've all been there. He had trepidations about her because of the way she spoke and like the fact that she sung songs from other countries he's like that seems a little weird seems a little appropriative and then he was like what's up with I'm this sure girl he think that no he that's what it's, he's quoted as saying really that. yeah no he didn't say the word appropriative but he's like i don't think that's like kosher again didn't say oh you shouldn't kosher. be taking from others right okay I got yeah you. from other countries like you're not of that culture it seems weird that you'd be singing the songs of those people when you're not of those people yeah, and okay. somebody at the party was like no she's castilian like she's from spain, spain. Yeah, yeah it's okay she also does have a very unique voice. Yeah, because really you like can't it. place the accent at all. No. Yeah. I initially yeah. thought British, but no, not British. Yeah. She recorded La Bamba before Richie Valens did, like three years before. Oh. Hosted a folk singer's voice on WBAI in New York City. First ever radio interview with Bob Dylan, which is yeah. during that segment. Yeah. Which I did not know. That would have been, again, right... Oh, 62. Yeah, it would have been right before he was... Uh, he did it. He recorded... I guess he would have recorded it. I don't know exactly. But January, yeah, January. Mm-hmm. I think he did... She And then he recorded stuff in her apartment. Oh. Later. I think, but yeah, the January one is what we're what we listened to. January thirteenth, I think, nineteen sixty-two. Hmm. So right after, yeah, it sounds like because that was when it was during like the sixties, late fifties, when the show yeah. was going. I think uh, moved to Spain for a little while, recorded to record flamenco music. Nice. It worked for the National Endowment of the Humanities, which I don't mm-hmm. know what that is, and then traveled and toured until her death in eighty-eight in New Jersey. So, but oh. it sounds like she was a big important thing in the folk scene because she did kind of like that guy you talk about, where he traveled around the country and like recorded. Oh, yeah, Alan Lomax. John yeah. and Alan Lomax, yeah. Obviously, it wasn't back so far away when people would have rare access to recordings, which is why it was like a big deal that Alan Lomax did. Right. But still, like, specifically focusing on the folk scene, not just in America, yeah. but internationally. That yeah. That's pretty cool. It, she caught a moment, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what it seemed like to me, because even in the in the full bootleg, which we will listen to at one point, she does talk about, like, you know, next week we've got this guy coming up. And it's like, yeah, every week or every... To however long it was on or how often I don't know but yeah she would always have a new act and she would always they would always just play songs and she would always talk in the same vein I mean if the version that we had this was the last song that he played and there's a great line right at the end where she's like when you're rich and famous you're gonna wear the hat too oh I'm never gonna become rich and famous <laughs> <laughs> and you're never gonna take uh, off the hat either no. <laughs> and this has been Folk Singer's Choice and I'm Cynthia Gooding I'll be here next week at the same time. It's such a cute moment because mm-hmm. it's, again, I think it speaks to the whole theme of this episode, which is like you have somebody looking ahead and he doesn't think that he's going to, you know, achieve those heights or whatever. He's just a kid playing folk music. And then we have, you know, for lack of a better word, an, an old man who's looking back on his life and talking about his youth and talking about what brought him to this crazy honor of winning a Nobel Prize in literature. I mean, what a fucking crazy thing to have happened. I mean, so I guess this is our segue, natural <laughs> segue, uh, right into it. So let's talk about it. So Kelly, just right off the bat, we listened to it probably multiple times each. What, what, what do you think? What, what did you think? Somebody who we've heard crooner, we've heard you know triplicate Bob Dylan. That's the latest that we've got. We now just listen to. Easily the earliest. I mean, John Birch was the earliest. This was a couple months a- after this. John Birch was recorded. So this is going to take the cake for a long time. There's mm-hmm. only, I think, about three more like official recordings that are around this time. Um, so this is going to be the, for a long time our earliest recording. So what do you, what do you make of it all? It's my favorite. But talking about the Nobel. Oh yeah, yeah. That. I mean, just making of it. The, not just the song, but like. That's a, it's a lot to wrap your head around. It's really interesting. Especially being somebody who hasn't followed the whole ride, you know, I have no context for it. It's like I am today in 2017 listening to this song that that was at the beginning of his everything. And then also in 2017, hearing this 
uh, acceptance speech for a, a huge honor. Whether or not Bob Dylan cares about it, it's you know I, that's fine. But it's uh, it's really cool. I don't know. He also has a wonderful speaking voice. I want him to narrate all the things. Yeah, I kind of love it. I, I at first I was just you're kind of it's jarring when you first start. When I received the Nobel Prize for Literature, I got to wondering exactly how my songs related to literature. I wanted to reflect on it and see where the connection was. I'm going to try to articulate that to you, and most likely it will go in a roundabout way. But I hope what I say will be worthwhile and purposeful. If I was to go back to the dawning of it all, I guess I'd have to start with Buddy Holly. It was nice to hear more about his life. The more context I have, you know, watching that, the movie was huge. Um, yeah. Supplemental series, volume one, or <laughs> number one, if you want to go back and listen to that. Um, and this was really cool, too. It's interesting. I always have in the back of my mind, how honest is Bob Dylan? Like, are these a fantastical story? Or are these really his life, his earnest, how he feels about this? But even if it's not, I think that might almost be more of a testament to why he should receive... Uh, a prize in literature if he could spin this so so truthfully i also love the little piano underneath because it's so npr it's it's like reading rainbow is just happening and yeah. bob dylan's telling me a story it's amazing it's amazing in a lot of ways well what was weird about it is that i loved how it started buddy holly i think all of the um the connections to, to buddy holly and this weird story about seeing buddy holly and then buddy holly looking at him which i come on jesus christ and like you feel like you just took buddy holly's power and then he died and so now you're like the reincarnation of but thank that you, was Bob. the gist right? that was the gist <laughs> and then it's like immediately named drive lead belly because he got to and so I like this idea that to say that like literature is just something on a page, I think is way too, you know, small. It's way too small. And so giving it to Bob Dylan to flesh out, maybe not the greatest idea in the world, because I don't think that he cares about the idea of stretching it for others to kind of get under the umbrella. Um, I think that somebody like Leonard Cohen would probably have treated this a little bit differently yeah. uh, because they, I don't they just have different temperaments. But that, that's like the only one I could possibly think that could kind of be on this level. Oh, that, there's plenty, I guess. I mean, that's kind of rude. Um, there's plenty of great lyricists out there that could have totally done this. But I think Bob Dylan's output, obviously. You're listening to a Bob Dylan podcast. I don't think you need to be told how great he could possibly be. Though, there was a couple moments, though, for me. Not only did I really love the literature stuff, but I also liked it because there was a moment there where he got to rhapsodizing like he did back in the 1960s. I tried to do a Bob Dylan-type um, read the way that he would read his poetry. I, I did that in the the episode Talk of John Birch, Paranoid Blues, where I read that long poem to Tony Glover, and I tried to read it like Bob Dylan, not Bob Dylan today, who came into the studio that one time. Batman, Bob Dylan. Not Batman, Bob Dylan, but you know Bob Dylan. So I was doing that poem by listening to all the early folk artists and singing the songs yourself. You pick up the vernacular, you internalize it, you sing it in the ragtime blues. Work songs, Georgia Sea Shanties, the Appalachian ballads and cowboy songs. You hear all the finer points and you learn the details. You know what it's all about, taking a pistol out, putting it back in your pocket, whipping your way through traffic, talking in the dark. You know that Stiger Lee was a bad man and that Frankie was a good girl. You know that Washington is a bourgeois town and you heard the deep-pitched voice of John the Revelator and you saw the Titanic sink in a boggy creek. And that felt like... Old Bob Dylan. It felt like I'm creating this poetic landscape, Bob Dylan. And so that was really nice for me to see as somebody who had, who's listened to Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie and heard him in his poetry in multiple live occasions and on bootlegs and things like that. That's something that I think that the casual viewer, like you, you've never heard any of that stuff. So when he starts kind of getting on that groove, it's special. And he doesn't do it for the whole thing. He kind of just did it right there at the beginning, which I thought also spoke to like the power of song. Because I think the weakest parts are obviously when he gets to the three books, the book report, you know, <laughs> which, you know, we'll get to the plagiarism thing in a moment. But like, you know, Moby Dick, all is quiet on the, all quiet on the Western Front and um, and the Odyssey. So I've read two of them. I haven't read Moby Dick, um, but I guess we have the book report, so we don't need it. Also, we can go to Spark Notes. I mean, Bob Dylan <laughs> to go ahead and get that information. So we, we're good. Um, I think one thing that can't be overstated at all is Clinton Highland notes when Dylan was taking these songs and like Penny's farm and turning it into, 
you know, hard times in New York town. Um, he quote, saw himself as part of it, as part of this process as an interpreter of the hoary old traditions of self-expression, not as an originator of new forms of song. So he wasn't making stuff up out of whole cloth. He was picking apart old rhythms and old sounds and putting them together. And I think he's kind of been doing that his entire career. And so Bob Dylan taking stuff, we all take stuff. You know, and nobody's under the microscope the way that Bob Dylan is. I mean, to that, that's also a very important point to make, is that if all of us were under these microscopes, most of our lives would be shams. We would just be complete liars and we would be stealing left and right. The love letters we write, our significant others are fake. The feelings that we feed them are from TV, from a movie they haven't seen. You know what I mean? Like, that's what life is. That's what culture is. That's what you're not living out of a vacuum. You know, you are living in a world. And Bob Dylan, unfortunately, is just microscope right over you. And he deserves it. I mean, he's a popular entertainer. I mean, he gets what... He could go away anytime, but what do you want? Apparently you want him to be wholly original all the time. Well, I don't know. I don't at well, all. No, no, Some just, people do. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I think so. But, but they wouldn't even accept it. Cause they, I think some people that think that they want that back assume that there is a period where he was wholly original, which never existed. No one has ever existed. That's never existed. That's never been a thing, unfortunately. And there's just no way to go back to that first farmer you know, was laying down some some sweet synth, you know, for, for the <laughs> pharaohs and stuff, you know? Right, yeah. Tapping some sticks together Just, rhythmically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then everyone's having a dance party. That's where Walk Like an Egyptian came from. Right. You see? And that they just took that. They, sure they did. didn't invent that. The Egyptians were the ones that did that. How dare they? They walked like Egyptians. Walk like an Egyptian. Walk like an Egyptian. I think just to kind of touch on the plagiarizing thing really quick, I love Noisy's take on it. it. They're basically, their headline was, you know, the book report is due tomorrow morning and it's midnight already. And Bob Dylan <laughs> has to get going. Um, and, and they had a great uh, quote here that I'll just quote right now. And it says, admittedly, Dylan began and will likely end his career recording covers before he decided to toss biblical archetypes and pop culture references together and set them to electric folk rock. So he's a synthesis by nature. He was doing this before. He went crazy. That's what we're praising him for. And now he's kind of back to it. He's back to covering. He's back to looking at that songbook and sort of seeing what he can do with it, which I think is kind of a perfect little circle. (laughs) The other thing I'll say is I think Slate, word by word, they just tore into the speech. You know, they just wanted to get him on every single thing, which is fine because he totally plagiarized it. That's (laughs) fine. Um, But one, one thing, they contacted academics and one of them, who was a Dylan fan, and it was like me. No alarm bells rang in his head while this was going on. He was like, cool. It happened. It is what it is. Um, You can get upset with it all you want. Another one, quite rightly, said that Dylan is cribbing from a contemporary publication that is under copyright instead of from Moby Dick itself, which is in the public domain. (laughs) And and then another said that if he turned this in as a student, he would fail him. So that's, um, and I said, it's a good thing it's not up to him. So (laughs) because it's true. It's true. (laughs) I thought it was uh, funny in the end. I mean, those are the books. Um, you either read them in school or you kind of don't. I found it hilarious right off the bat. And I think anybody really reading this, you know, we want to talk about plagiarism and stuff. Anybody actually listening to this, he immediately says that he read Tale of Two Cities, Don Quixote, one of my favorite books of all time, thousand page book. He said he read all these books in grammar school. Homie, you ain't reading this in grammar school. So immediately I feel like Everything he's saying right away is like you're calling it into question immediately. Yeah. Uh, the New Yorker had a great article and they just said, welcome <laughs> to Dylan self-mythologizing 101. Um, so I think that's it. I think it's kind of hard. Um, it just happened. So I don't really know what else to say. It's a really great speech. And I think it's worth your time and energy, even if you don't know much about Bob Dylan. I think it's fascinating that we now have a singer songwriter who has won this prize and i think it changes the dynamics a little bit and that's what songs are too our songs are alive in the land of the living but songs are unlike literature they're meant to be sung not read the words in shakespeare's plays were meant to be acted on the stage just as lyrics and songs are meant to be sung not read on a page 
And I hope some of you get the chance to listen to these lyrics the way they were intended to be heard, in concert or on record, or however people are listening to songs these days. I return once again to Homer, who says, Sing in me, O muse, and through me tell the story. And Dylan's going to die one day. But these songs are going to live on forever. And these songs are going to be a part of a very particular cultural institution that I found myself going through and saying, I'm going to read a book by a Nobel Prize winner. I want to know. I mean, I wouldn't have read Gunter Grass. I wouldn't have read Doris Lessing. I mean, some they pick obscure writers, quote unquote, obscure to American audiences. But they there's a lot of integrity that goes with the, the Nobel Prize in literature. These are people who have worked their whole lives. I and mean, this is the life's work. People are awarded this for their lives' work, not for one book in particular. And I feel like 100 years from now, if we're still around, pray emoji. <laughs> Some kid is going to look up the, you know, Bob Dylan's long gone. You know, people aren't listening to him at all. It's like the Bentley brothers. They're gone. Bentley boys. They're gone. Um, he's going to be like, what's Bob Dylan? And he's going to be a fun factoid. The only musician to win. Well, I mean, I hope the kid's like, what's music? I hope he's not like that. <laughs> what's music? It'd be terrible. But if he's like, what's Bob Dylan? And he were to explore it, he's going to have this treasure trove of all these people like us who have spent our time either talking about it or Dylanologists like pouring over everything. I mean, this won't all be in vain unless we all get washed away. But in theory, there's a kid out there who's going to stumble upon this and he's going to it's going to change his life. He hit the nail on the head, and I think that's why it's important. And that's why I, I support Bob Dylan. I'm going to make a stand here. I support Bob Dylan getting the Nobel Prize in literature. I think he it is literature. Bold. I think songs are literature. I think he's right. they got to be played, not read. I think it's hard to read his lyrics and be like, this is great. Some of them are <laughs> awesome. I mean, No Time to Think, I think, was is probably the one that I think of right off the bat, episode nine for us. That's the most poetic of all of it. If you were to read it, there's a lot of evocative language and stuff like that. But you read Hard Times in New York Town, I mean, it's it works great as a song. But it's not it's it's not poetry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All I can think about the whole time you were saying that stuff about Bob Dylan being timeless in so many words was Battlestar Galactica, by the way. Yeah. That, well, there you go. I mean, again, yeah. Well, I guess true. So we might all die as a species, but... God damn it if all along the watchtower isn't rolling out there in the universe and someone's going to grab it. There must be some kind of way out of here. I thought that if I assign numbers to the notes... All right, so I think um, I think we'll go ahead and end this episode. Sounds really good. I like that. Yeah, one. I think the only thing that this weekend made me think a lot about this this idea of having this life over here and this life over there, and it made me think a lot about this podcast. The reason we started this podcast was for us to hang out more, which we do, and then I think the other part of it was to try to like listen to stuff and like sort of change your mode of thinking. And at least for me, I wanted something that. I had to stick to, I had to have on time because I find myself, my discipline lacking sometimes. I find my mind going off sometimes. So this has been really important for me. And then this week, Dave is getting married on my birthday oh. in Virginia. And I never responded to his thing that said, you know, RSVP or not. Because obviously I kind of told him I wasn't going to make it because I just came from there. Right. And so he texted me today and he was like, Oh, I didn't get an RSVP. And I was like, dude, this sucks. And I think this podcast reminds me again that it's like, I want to have a life that is, I'm able to do those type of things. And I think thinking about someone like Bob Dylan, life is long. It's something that you need to attack. And I think Bob Dylan in 61, 62 attacked it. And I think that that's something that I'm thinking a lot about right now is attacking because I don't want to be at the mercy of somebody else's PTO. I don't want to be at the mercy of not being able to go and see whoever the fuck I want because I'm spending money on bullshit and time wasters and things like that. So that was my weird takeaway at the end of the week. So I hope to converge someday again, maybe have them on the podcast one day be in Virginia and then you'll be in space. (laughs) 
If and only. We'll be, and we'll be doing. <laughs> you'll be a space raider. You'll be yes! shooting the space. Like, like well, life. and Bob Dylan is. <laughs> yeah. Wiggle Wiggle is a great song. That's our national anthem up here. <laughs> that would be my best life. Oh, my God. Do you know how happy? Yeah, that'd be amazing. We would all be happy. So, okay. So let's go ahead and close out this week with our recommendations. Uh, so, Kelly, I know the, the trepidation here. Weird week. We, yeah. I, I feel like, in a weird way, our Spotify playlists have become so good. I think we've solved the problem of the random song. So I, I don't have any fears anymore of, like, you know, sort of trying to fit one song in, like trying to remember to go back and listen to one song while you're doing all the rest of it. We basically create dope-ass playlists all week with stuff that kind of works and doesn't always have to work. It doesn't really matter. I think we've solved that problem. This week I listened to things way more than I have. Uh, to be honest, I probably wouldn't have listened to this song except for right before we recorded because I know this song like the back of my hand. But it was really fun to like have this playlist essentially on repeat mm-hmm. and to be able to go back and forth through it, shuffle it, get it, whatever. Um, so I think we've solved that problem, which is great. And I think people who maybe are weirdly trepidatious about that too, I recommend putting it into a playlist that you listen to for the week or subscribing to ours and you can definitely, um, sing along. Yeah. But I think that takes up a lot of your week too, where you're like, you're kind of just listening to this playlist. You know, there's not always a yeah. lot of other, yeah. And that was your That's problem. what happened to me. Cause I was like, this is a two hour playlist that we've created. So I was thinking about songs that could go on it and I was listening to it. So it was like this little echo chamber of bob dylan ish like well new york centric music right um but that wasn't a bad thing it was a lot of fun stuff i went back and um i listened to dmx a little bit because i when it's dark and hell's hot and um it's like 20 years old now. flesh of my flesh and blood of my blood yeah 98 98 yeah okay. both of them came out in 98 that's crazy uh i had both those albums and yeah. i listened to them all the time <laughs> so uh getting to put that on the playlist because he's from yonkers yeah that was a nice um, uh nice to see i enjoyed mm-hmm. that yeah, it was that was fun. I've been eating long enough now. Stop being greedy. Just keep it real, partner. Give to the need. Ribs is touching, so don't make me wait. Fuck around and I'm gon' bite you. Snatch the plate. I can flip that flow. I can stick that hoe. I can get that dough. You know I'm with that joke. Ain't a thing about this shit I can't do or haven't seen. But when it gets dark, it's like a nigga's having dreams. All night dance, the light dance, dessert. Got me like everybody wants to hurt, but paranoid. So I strike out at whatever. Coach is thick. Also, anytime that I can listen to 36 Chambers, I will do that because I love that album too. Yeah. So while I didn't necessarily, like I didn't have one thing that was kind of, that I could recommend that I was super into, I, I didn't listen to Smashing Pumpkins well, for what it's worth. I think that's important. Everyone was, <laughs> everyone who listened along for this moment is uh, deeply Just, disappointed. Like, but Billy Corgan, James Eha, I thought we were going to talk about this at length. Yeah. No, no, we're not. <laughs> Sorry, this is not a Smashing Pumpkins podcast. Although I did possibly coin the phrase. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Chicago grunge. Who knows if that's a thing? Nice. I decided that's what Smashing Pumpkins are. That's fair. I'm sure it is a thing. That's fair. Um, and then also, I guess, just another podcast, Throwing Shade, which I've listened to for years now. Um, yeah. Probably my favorite podcast. That's surprised you never said that yet. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But yeah, it, it talks about feminist and queer issues, and they're hilarious. They're both like comedians, basically, in their own right. And, yeah. Um, check that out if you yeah. don't listen to that. I, we do listen to a lot of podcasts so we'll try to save them and slowly sort of put them out there our favorites so um for me it was a little bit uh it was kind of the same um not a lot of not a lot of straight new music um because i thought a lot about the new york and i went through um all these new york songs you know because i am a weirdo and i keep crazy playlists of every single state and every big city and Mm -hmm. songs whenever they mention them i throw them in so i'm like primed for this i was like i could put this out right now and i have like 400 new york songs so i tried to just choose uh haphazardly just sort of like oh cool yeah touche cool i was there before whatever whatever i just (laughs) not a whole lot of thought but it made it a little bit better because then you kind of did so then it was fun to have that sort of mix so i definitely listened to a shit ton of of this music spotify also did a summer rewind where it told you the last you know all the your most listened to songs over the last however many years you've had the service which was amazing because i'm listening to Antarctica vespucci i'm listening to um gaslight anthem and direct hit and all, you know all these bands that just like totally were my summers mastodon came out yeah in 2014 and then the last thing I want, I finished um, I finished 1861. I'm still reading The Destructive War, so I'm kind of in Civil War mode. Um, so I want to recommend Titus Andronicus's The Monitor, which sort of uses the Civil War as like a 
a backdrop or a metaphor, if you will, for his personal life. And so there's a lot of allusions to the war, um, but also a very deeply personal record. I'm going back to New Jersey. I do believe they've had enough for me. to choose our next supplemental episode. Now, I haven't showed you any of this, but what we're going to do is there's something that we have talked about before called Theme Time Radio Hour, which is what Bob Dylan hosted on Sirium or XM or whatever the fuck. Sirium? Sure. (laughs) Sirius. One of the two. I don't know. Back in the day. So 2005, maybe something like that. Anyways, he has about 100 episodes, 98, if you count the put the the one and two parters together. So what we're going to do is instead of random.org picking a random song, because you never win, you're never going to win. And I feel bad for you. We have a list from one to 98. And instead of you never getting to win again, I'm going to pick three random numbers with three random words. And you're going to tell me which one of them you want to do. And that'll be the episode of Theme Time Radio Hour that we do. That's nice. It's like that, the, the illusion of choice. The illusion of choice. Yeah. Because, again, you're just <laughs> never going to get it. And if you get it this episode, I think we're done with the podcast and it's over. So, all right. So let's go ahead and I'm going to go to random.org. So we're going to go from 1 to 98. Do you think random.org knows all the free press we give them to all 10 of the people that listen to this? I really hope that everybody goes to random.org and plays all their <laughs> games. <laughs> All right, so we're still going to have you guess. So guess, 1 to 98. 23. 59. Yep, sounds right. Let's just remember what they are. So 59. Wait, I get three chances to guess? Three chances, yeah, three chances to guess, because you'll never get it right. (laughs) (laughs) So you're still going to be humiliated, but at the end, you're going to get to choose something. That's nice. All right, what's the next one? What's the next one? 43. Oh, 47. Come on now. I know. What's the next one? 84. 35. Okay. Yep. All right. So 59, 47, and 35. All right. So and these numbers correspond to the episode of theme to the time. the episode of theme time that we're going to do. All right. So women's names. Oh. It's also, that's fun right off the bat. Fools. Interesting. Or dreams. Fools, dreams, or women's names. Women's names. <laughs> like with a plural. Women's names. Well, yeah, I imagine it's going to be like... Yeah, women's names, yeah. Lola, whatever that Mm -hmm. song is, right? Layla. Got me on my knees. Layla. Layla. But there's also a song about a Lola. There's always a song about a Lola. Yeah, her name was Lola. She was a something. You know. That's a song. What do you want? Uh, Dreams sounds the most interesting. Dreams sounds the most interesting. All right, dreams it is. So that episode's going to be coming out within a week or two. So we're probably going to record it later on this week. Look out for that. So we're going to keep doing this. We are not going to do this on this episode ever again. So we are going to pretend as if Theme Time Radio Hour never existed on this podcast here. But we will continue to do this at the end of every Theme Time. So we'll pick the next one. Yes. All right. So now let's go ahead and go back to our OG list. So like once a month, I'll get to win. I'll get to pick a thing. Once a month. Once a month. Once a month. Yes. All right. So let's go ahead and choose my favorite part. (laughs) My favorite part. 
You know, because it's fun. Like, theme time's great, but I don't know what dreams means. You know, I've heard it. Do you think it's going to be really on the nose and it's going to be like that song's like, dream, dream, It could be. Dream, I mean, it goes everywhere. It could. Who knows? We're going to find out in a week or two. Yes, we will. Whenever I get around to it. Okay, so this is, we're back to our definitive SOTW list, which you can find on our website. I'm going to go ahead and take away hard time i'm glad you've gotten better about that so that is gone we are now at 527 oh god it's getting thin over here all right <laughs> so from 1 to 98 to 1 to 527 what is your guess my odds have improved 493 Ooh, 356 yep. not even close uh 493 you said yeah sure all right 493 would have been in a different timeline you're gonna quit me which is from good as i've been to you 1992 so this is him kind of returning back to his folk roots you know just him and a guitar but before the one that everybody loves that was in 97 right time out of before mind. right before yeah absolutely all right and then i chose uh 356 well random.org random.org for all your random needs <laughs> uh 356 ring them bells off of 1989's oh mercy one of my favorite songs oh really Bob Dylan. yes it's a beautiful song very very excited about it so there is uh multiple versions there's the, the oh mercy version there's a live version sufjan stevens actually covers this as well and um it's on the bootleg series volume eight all right and so we'll play a little clip of it here did we do another song from oh mercy because i remember saying the oh mercy version a bunch the of mercy times. version that was um not days of 49 oh it's the one god that, knows god knows yeah yeah that was god so knows. that was a song that might have been on that album might have that been was the on cut that. that he did for that album should it have gone on it but it did not correct is sign on the window on that album no not at all that's about 15 years before that no it's just him and a, him and a, well i guess there is a little dissonant guitars there but no it's just him just him and his Organ, piano basically sounds like. yeah yeah we'll get deeper into it but yeah this is a beautiful song you just want to make another great playlist I do. What do I want to know? I want to know the history of bells. Why do we use bells? <laughs> no. Why do we use bells? Oh, no. Just what's going on? We are a real podcast, by the way. And thanks for listening. We've thanks. gone a little long. Um, you can follow us at SOTW Pod everywhere. Our website is that. Our Twitter is that. Our Instagram is that. Our Tumblr is that. Um, so please follow along. Please let us know what you think. And... Yeah, the links to our personal ones are on there too. Not that we, I really have one. Yeah. But you do. I do. And Kelly's on there all the time. So we are just constantly at your beck and call. Really, if you call, we will beck for sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about that. So uh, we just want to thank you for listening. Hell it's yeah. been a pleasure. We will be back next week. Hell yes. Hell yes. Oh yes